Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. It has been such an honor this past month to be able to bless these different organizations. You've got to see four of the ones that we have partnered with, Teen Challenge, uh, Wings of Eagles Ranch, Ada Jenkins Center last week, and then this week, Gate Pregnancy Center. But the, there's another $170,000 that, because of God's blessings upon this church, that in the last month, we've been able to give $250,000 above and beyond what we, were, what we thought we were going to be able to do this year. But because of God's blessings, an extra $250,000 has gone to spread the gospel around the world. Come on, let's give God praise for His blessings. Amen. So thankful. I'm so honored to be able to bring the word alongside Pastor John and Pastor Doug today. We're going to be taking our text from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. One of the things that's always interest me, interested me about this part of the story is this, is that the wise men had the questions, but the people that had the answers were not the ones who went and, and fell at the feet of Jesus. You see, the, the wise men went to King Herod and they said, where is the king of the Jews who has been born? The religious leaders at that time, they knew the answer, but they didn't make their way to the manger. You see, sometimes it's more important to have the right question. You see, sometimes it's, it's the heart of seeking, the heart of curiosity. See, God has created in us questions. How do I know God has created in us questions? It's because I have a three-year-old. If you know what I'm talking about, if you have a three-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. His mom and I did not teach him how to ask 20 questions in 60 seconds. We did, not, we did not teach him how to ask why, 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 or what is that, what is it? His favorite question right now is who's in charge? And uh, he'll say, Daddy, are you in charge? Yes, I'm in charge. Mo mommy, is mommy in charge? Yes, mommy's in charge. Am I in charge? No, you are not in charge. And uh, uh, so he, he, we're glad that we're getting that question settled right now. So, uh, so later on, he, he'll know who's in charge. But, but questions are important to us, and, and questions are a sign of intelligence. Questions are a sign of curiosity. We, we want him to ask questions. We want him to be curious. But something happens as we grow to where all of a sudden that curiosity is no longer viewed uh, as something uh, desirable. Uh, maybe it's because parents like I keep saying, stop asking so many questions. Or maybe it's because when they go to school, they start being graded on the answers rather than the questions. Uh, maybe it's because as they grow, they, they start being embarrassed to ask and say, I, I don't know the answer to this. And, and so we, we press those questions down. But, but maybe it's like Nancy Willard says, and that is sometimes questions are more important than answers. Tony Robbins, the life coach, says this, quality questions can create a quality life. Successful people ask better questions. Is it possible that successful faith begins with great questions? I think sometimes in our religious circles, we have a tendency to think that questions are the grave markers of faith rather than the incubators of faith. In other words, we, we, when we ask questions, somehow that means our faith has come to an end. But how can it be? Is it possible that, that the question is the beginning of faith? 
that the question is the beginning of the process. And, and uh, I, what if the questions in our life is actually meant to bring us joy? What if the circumstance that's going on in your, your life right now that has brought questions to your mind is actually God's gift to you to bring you joy? You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, think about this. Think about an Easter egg hunt. You, when you go to an Easter egg hunt, if, if, you, if you're hiding the eggs, you don't hide the eggs with the intent that the kid will never find the eggs. Right? Unless maybe you're my, my nephew. He might actually would do that. But, but you, you, you hide the eggs just out of sight, just enough so that the kid experiences the joy of finding it. Um, you, whenever you, you think about the presents that are wrapped underneath your tree right now, you, you didn't wrap those presents with the intent to eternally conceal what was in that present. No, you, you, to, to eternally frustrate that kid. For three weeks, they've seen that present there. What is it? What is it? What is it? And tomorrow, kids, less than 24 hours from now, you're going to find out what is in that package. But what, what, is it possible that the questions, the things that are concealed in our life right now are not meant to frustrate us, but they're actually meant to bring us joy? The joy of finding the answer. The psalmist said it like this. He said, I, I lift up my eyes to the heels. Where does my help come from? And the, he found the joy of knowing that his help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. If you're going through sickness today, is it possible that as you walk through that, the questions that you have is simply because God wants you to know the joy of finding that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who can heal? Is it possible that, that, that going through bondage is so that you can know that he is your liberator? Is it possible that, that the sin that has brought questions in your life that, so that you can have the joy of knowing that he is your redeemer? Is it possible this morning that the questions that you have is so that each one of us in this room can know that Jesus alone is the answer? Amen. Come on, church. Anybody got a little joy in their heart this morning? I know you haven't opened any gifts yet, but is anybody walking in joy before the Christmas season even starts? Anybody? So excited that you're here with us. What an incredible passage. What an incredible song. What an incredible morning. My wife says I use that word incredible too much, and I just might. Chapter 2 of the book of Matthews is where we've been studying Pastor Steve did this incredible job communicating this idea that what if it's about the question and what if the question's about your direction? Chapter 2, verse 2, the second part of that verse says this, we saw his star as it rolls. Now, I, I've always been fascinated with the wise men for this one simple truth. They were willing to leave everything on a question. If you, if you know the story of the wise men, you know that they had read the prophetic writings, they had done their research, and they had figured that when this star showed up, that they would leave it all behind and follow the star. That type of dedication, that type of, of, of uh, um, um, consistency is, is so alluring to me because I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm easily distracted. Anyone in the room easily distracted? Kind of like squirrel. Anybody like live with squirrels like your whole life? You're just trying to figure out. When it comes to this type of consistency, when it comes to this type of devotion, I've always been so intrigued. But to truly understand it, you, you first have to start by understanding the style of leadership of the God that they were following. The style of leadership that even Jesus kind of demonstrates. 
And in Matthew, when, when speaking of this, I'm sorry, in John, when speaking of this, J Jesus actually says that he is a shepherd. To define his leadership using this picture of shepherding. And shepherding here is a little bit different than shepherding in, 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 the, in the east. In the west, we, um, we have a tendency of shepherding from the back of the flock. We drive flocks or drive herds or drive cattle, depending on what you're driving. But, but, but shepherd's uh, staff was was used to, um, we'll just call it, encourage the sheep um, as they were moving into places that the shepherd would thought were a little dangerous. But in, in the east, well, the way that they would shepherd was the shepherd would lead from the front. And he would walk, and the sheep would just follow. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus kind of defines that a little bit for us. And he says this, but the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So of course he's talking about himself and he says this in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he had gathered his own sheep, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Here's some truths we learn. We learn that he calls them by name which speaks to this idea that the shepherd intricately and intimately knows each sheep by their name. What an incredible truth that God completely and totally knows you by name. That you're not just a number. He's not just trying to push humanity as a whole in his favor. No, that he knows you all by name. And not only that he knows you by name, this passage go on to say that he goes out first and he leads them. And I love that because the rod in the, in the west that represents kind of correction and movement in the east is more of a rod that's preparing a way and removing obstacles for the path of the sheep. The shepherd goes before you. And I don't know if that's your testimony, but I know it's mine that the shepherd goes before me. The only problem with any of this is it requires a sheep who pays attention. Think about it for a moment. The shepherd is grazing uh, the sheep. He brought them to a lush valley. They're all eating. He notices a predator. The first thing he does is he stands up. He grabs his, his staff just in case the predator gets any closer. He makes the call. Every sheep in the valley op uh, uh, lifts their head, looks to the shepherd and begins to follow. Well, except for the stubborn one who's so driven by his appetite is now so focused on the lushness of the areas in that he's forgotten to look at a shepherd. This is where the personal application of this point comes into fruition because for so many of us, we are directed sometimes more by our appetite than we are by our Savior. The appetite for life, the appetite for what we're currently in. I mean, the truth is, we often find ourselves in a place where we are the conductor instead of the great, ma magnificent God of all creation being our direction. And then we ask questions like, God, well, where are you? And, and we say things like, God has lost us. And the truth is, it's not that God's lost us at all. It's that as sheep, we have lost sight of him. So my question is, who's directing you? Whether it's relationships sometimes that step in to direct us. Whether it's, again, our appetite. Sometimes it's even good things. Sometimes we are so focused on the miracle that we lose sight of the miracle giver. There are times in life where we find ourselves in weird and strange and dark and hollow places. And if we would just look up, it's because we've allowed other people and other things to direct us instead of the great shepherd. And yet, 
There's incredible promise in Scripture, a product of this type of direction found in Psalms chapter 23. If you have your Bible, just flip there with me real quick. It reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. For a moment, just if you're in this place and you would say, Pastor John, I would, I would take all my gifts and I would pack them up and I would give them to you if you can promise me that the gift that you put under my tree is direction for the next season of my life. The direction that comes that we find in the Lord is satisfying for all that we need. He says this, let me rest in green meadows. Let me leave beside people's stream. His direction brings peace. It says, he renews my strength. How many in the room would say, I just want strength. Like you can keep, you can keep the, the new TV. I, j- I just need strength. If, if you could just wrap strength in the box and put it underneath my tree. He goes on to say this, he guides me along the right path. He brings honor to my name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you're close behind me. Your rod and your staff protect and it comforts me his direction brings comfort protection companionship verse 5 you prepare a feast before me before the presence of my enemy his direction brings victory my cup overflows with blessing his direction brings blessing surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever the direction of the king means love forever my, my question to you this morning is What are you allowing to direct your life? Have you lost sight of this king? Or are you looking at the king of kings and the Lord of lords for your direction? So are you asking the right questions? If you're asking the right questions, are you looking in the right direction? And if you got those two, here's the final piece to this and what I would say is probably the most important part is is your response correct do you do you have the right response because this really is the picture of of the magi of the wise men they were asking the right questions they followed the star in the right direction but their response I love their response is that they bowed in worship we have come to worship him Before we get into that a little bit, let's back up and just talk about exactly who these wise men were. Who were these magi? Matthew writes about the wise men. Luke doesn't. Luke's the physician. He's the detail guy. Luke is the historian. So if Luke would have told us about the magi, we probably probably would have known a little bit more. But he doesn't. Matthew does. And so we don't know much. And there's all this question. I, I came across a really interesting article uh, this past week. If you're interested in kind of the, the nerdy stuff behind all this, I tweeted it out. But it's a great article. And I think it sheds a little bit of light on who the Magi were that applies to us this morning. So it talks about that these Magi were probably some combination of uh, spiritual advisors so they they had a mystical side to them but they had a political side so they were kind of the king's right-hand group of advisors they were they were people of wisdom they were from the east so some scripture that I think gives us a little clue on this is out of the book of Esther and out of the book of Daniel so Esther is in Persia Daniel's in Babylon both of these are eastern kingdoms around this time period so let's go to this I think it applies to us this morning. Esther chapter 1, uh, it says he immediately consulted. Who's he? It's the king at that time, the king of Persia. So the king consulted with his wise advisors who, know, who knew all the Persian laws and customs. So they've got a kind of a lawyer side to them, legal side. 
For he always asked their advice. The names of these men were Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marcina, and Mimukin. Some strange names, right? Um, speaking of strange names, and this doesn't have anything to do with anything except it was interesting and it was on social media. So um, if you were curious this Christmas what your Star Wars name would be. Did you see this? Your Star Wars name is your favorite pasta dish, and then you just insert a, a, like a hyphen or a space at a random spot. So your Star Wars name would be Las Anya, or, or Tortellini, or Fet Achini, or Spag Edios, or, you know, like what, whatever you're into, like whatever your dream Pasta dish, that's your Star Wars name. Again, nothing to do with the Bible or Christmas or anything. I just got you distracted. So back, back to this, strange names. They met with the king, these, these magi-esque, right? And this is speculation, but I think it helps us. They met with the king regularly, and listen to this, held the highest positions in the empire. On over to Daniel. So Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were the Hebrew uh, uh, young men who were captured, bought, brought into the Babylonian courts, and they were being trained for these high positions, these kind of wise men positions. So it says this in Daniel chapter 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy Good-looking young man, if you're sitting by a man, turn to them and say, the Bible's talking about you. Go ahead and encourage that man. If you are, if you are a single adult, I may have just gotten you a Christmas date. Either that or I made it really awkward, so I'm just going to keep on going here. It goes on to say, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment. They're suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. Verse 20 says, in the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So regardless of exactly who these magi were, I think it really matters for us that we understand that they were probably highly educated, that we understand that they probably held political clout, a good position, so they had achieved education, they had achieved status, and then probably they had achieved wealth. One article speculates the value of those gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh in our dollars to be about $100,000. So not a bad gift, and I know that makes the last-minute thing that you just picked up at CVS look like even, an even worse decision. But, but these, were, these were respected men of means, and I love their response. Their response was that they bowed in worship. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.